an introduction to AI and the law. Hi, I'm Lindsay Scott, CEO of 39SX Chambers. This is the AI and law podcast series from 39SX Chambers, recorded in June 2023. The use of algorithms and different forms of AI is increasing hugely across almost everything. And at 39SX Chambers, we've been seeing an increase in the number of inquiries related to AI and computerized analysis across many of our practice areas. In this podcast series, Catherine Apps Casey and David Mitchell each explore some of the legal issues and issues specific to the legal profession itself, which arise from the use of this new technology with the help of some special guests. I hope you enjoy listening to this series, which you can access from 39essex.com and all major podcast apps. Do share the series with your colleagues and friends and like on your favourite podcast app and LinkedIn. If you have any queries or anything we can help you with, then please do feel free to get in touch with me or contact us at marketing at 39essex.com. Thank you. Hello and welcome to the first episode of the 39 Essex podcast series on AI and the law. I'm Catherine Apps Casey. And I'm David Mitchell, a barrister in Chambers. Just before we speak to each of our guests, should we just talk about what the two of us mean by AI? It's a common term, but people can mean rather different things by it, can't they? Yes. What we will be referring to in this series is a computer algorithm which has the power to alter its own code. Yeah, the classic and sort of the earliest forms, as I understand it, were essentially pattern recognition software. So they learned from a defined data set of target pictures or combinations of words or combinations of data, which all satisfied required criteria. Then the algorithm trained against that, a larger known data set and it improved its accuracy once it had done its smaller data set. And then once trained, the algorithm could then assess some new data but against what it had already learned. But then there's a distinction between a computer program that can report what it changes to its own set of instructions and those where the changes are being made that are either only comprehensible to itself or are essentially in what they call a black box, so completely inaccessible to a user. And then we move on to newer forms of generative large language model artificial intelligence such as chat GPT. The way this works is very similar to the form you've just described but it also generates new content based on what it has previously reviewed. It reads as though it's been written by a real person, is usually grammatically perfect, but it is highly dependent on what it has reviewed. A couple of our guests are particularly knowledgeable, aren't they, about this sort of AI? Yes, and in terms of our own practices, in some of the areas which I cover, for example in defamation and media, there are real questions which arise to do with the adoption of this new technology, for instance around issues to do with authorship and accuracy of content that's written by this sort of generative artificial intelligence. Chat GPT-4 was only released a little over three months ago in March of this year, yet already we've seen defamation claims being issued in Australia and the US by aggrieved parties claiming that stories published about them by the technology are false and have damaged their reputations. It seems to me it's only a matter of time before libel actions based on generative AI come before the courts in England and Wales. 
We also, of course, both of us do cases in the discrimination field. And I'll be talking to Professor Catherine Barnard in one of the episodes in a bit more detail about how AI and particularly some of this new technology is likely to be analysed within the framework of UK and EU anti-discrimination law. Are you already seeing issues about AI in your discrimination cases? Well, it's come to prominence really in terms of public awareness in recent months following the advent of chat GBT4. But I've been involved in cases for a number of years where issues to do with, for example, employers monitoring or assessing employees using other forms of AI in the workplace have been challenged and have required advice and also in the law enforcement realm to do with agencies using these forms of technologies to detect crime and criminals. Typically, notwithstanding the very different context of those two examples, the types of issues that they give rise to are similar. They concern data protection, human rights and equality law. However, both of those examples were discrete cases concerning specific scenarios and deployment of the technology. It seems to me that since the release of ChatGPT4, there's a much greater understanding amongst the public about the power of generative AI and how universal it will be in all of our lives. So these types of legal issues have suddenly assumed a much greater urgency and importance. Yeah, I'm not sure that it's just the ChatGPT generative AI where it's coming up. I suppose I tend to do equality cases either in employment or services or public functions or the education field. And there can be allegations in all of those fields where about essentially systemic bias or systemic discrimination in the way either a system is set up or operated by the humans or machines within it. And I think the the questions about algorithms generally and also questions about automation are increasingly coming up, both in litigation and the advisory field. And also particularly that question as to whether having a human doing a review later in a process after a computer has been involved can either remedy biases, possibly make them worse, or how that actually works with both how the technology and the law come together. We also both do a bit of data protection work, and I know you in particular do. Are you finding it's coming up also in the data protection work that you're dealing with? Again, I think two recent examples of work I've been involved in, working for a private client and looking at the legal implications of the design of gaming apps on smartphones and how those correspond or don't correspond with data protection legislation. And also in a public law context, looking at the rollout of digital medical records accessible through the NHS app and whether or not this technology properly protects special category personal data. So those are, if you like, two examples of work that I've been involved in recently. I also do procurement work and particularly contracting issues in terms of where you've got essentially multiple parties possibly responsible for where there is a systemic problem. And I think particularly when a company or a government department is purchasing licenses to use software that either has an AI element or is predominantly AI, it's necessary to be really clear about what it is that's being bought and also what it is that's then being reported about essentially what it is and what is being changed. And also ensuring that the contractual principle essentially has enough control over what it is that they're buying to reduce the chance of claims coming in against them. And also if claims come in so that they're ensuring that they're defensible so far as possible. And I think there's also issues particularly in terms of the 
protection of it if it's the contractual principles data set that's going to be looked at there's issues of protecting that data set and I think that particularly comes in when talking about particularly generative language models by lawyers yeah and I'll be looking at some of the issues from if you like compliance in a regulatory aspect with one of our guests on this series Stephanie Boys who until recently was president of the Law Society and was very closely involved with some of the issues which these new technologies will raise in everyday practice for solicitors that's going to be a really interesting discussion and of course there's also an international element isn't there because this technology isn't confined to the UK and it raises some really fundamental questions about what sort of law is needed and by whom and what can individual countries do and what would need to be dealt with at the sort of treaty level. And I'm going to talk about this a bit with Shalmi Chakrabarti when she's on an episode. Yes. And of course, we are an international set of chambers. And in order to get a perspective from the Far East, one of our guests, Mishihiro Nishi, is a solicitor from Clever Chance in Tokyo who is working in Japan at the moment, but did much of his work previously in Silicon Valley with companies there that have been using AI for quite some time. And he's been very much involved in the sort of legal issues which that gives rise to. And another one of our guests, Bernie Meyer, he's a visiting professor of cyber law at King's College London. And he will also be touching on some of these issues in the discussion which I'll be having with him concerning AI and legal education. I know you'll be talking about this with Stephanie Boyce, but of course, a legal education and a legal training element to all of this. And how will this new technology change what the lawyers of the future are doing and how they're actually being trained? And I'm going to talk about this with Patrick Brody, who's a solicitor at RPC, when we do an episode slightly later in the series. I suppose when I started studying law, it was very much at that moment in time between the sort of paper law library and the introduction of Westlaw, LexisNexis and the online forum. So I had to train on both of them. And of course, the online world is very much taken over from the sort of paper law library world. I wonder whether something similar will be happening with today's law students and trainees. I don't know what you think about that. Well, it's one of the issues which I pick up with Bernie Meyer, and it's interesting to hear some of the reservations he has about these new technologies in terms of, if you like, possible de-skilling over-reliance of students who are the current law students and graduates on these technologies because they are so accessible and so powerful. And it seems to me that there's potentially a greater issue there to do with a stifling of creativity and imagination around legal thinking because, of course, ultimately creativity is important to the law and lawyers as it is to the arts. And certainly some of the themes that I'll be picking up with Bernie suggest that over-reliance on these types of technologies could have a negative effect on lawyers of the future. Well, that's a really interesting perspective. It's in some ways lovely to hear law as talked about as one of the creative industries. But obviously, some of what we do is actually intensely creative, but I suppose also very structured. And that's one of the things I notice in terms of the way that you search in an electronic database by keyword searching is very different than going through a textbook and having that preordained structure of how other lawyers will have started as their starting point. And I think sometimes if you start from different starting points, the end analysis can look sometimes quite different. So I wonder if we'll actually end up with quite different legal reasoning 10, 20 years down the line, depending on how training goes. Now, one question we're going to be asking everyone in this series is in some ways quite a naughty question, but it's a scale question. And it's on a scale of zero to 10. 
asking people to think about their predictions about AI and law more generally. And zero on that scale is like the most pessimistic you could possibly be, end of the world. And 10 is the most optimistic and that you know, AI is going to transform the world uniquely for the better. And we're going to be asking each of our people joining us on the episodes to place themselves with a number on that spectrum. But before asking that question to all of those who are coming on with us, we ought to actually do that test ourselves. So go on, you first, where would you place yourself on that scale of zero to 10? I've given this some careful thought, Catherine. I've also had the benefit of interviewing the interviewees who I'll be speaking to on this episode and seeing the very divergent views that they have as to the effects of AI. Some of them are really quite pessimistic and others the opposite. I think I'm going to sound a cautious note of optimism and plump for a seven. And the reason for that is that inevitably there will be teething problems as there will be with any new technology. And we only have to look at history to see that. But once this becomes bedded in, I anticipate that in a relatively short period of time, it will be almost second nature to each of us. And we will then at that point be able to harness its potential for the good of all of us, not just in our practices, but more generally in society. And having answered that uh, on that cautiously optimistic note, I turn to you, Catherine, if you had to posit on a scale of 0 to 10, whether this is dystopian or panglossian, whereabouts would you be on that scale? I'm probably a four at the moment. So at the pessimistic end, but not the pessimistic extreme. And I think my principal reservation at the moment, and this is one I think that could change depending on how the debate about law and AI develops, is because so much of the debate at the moment seems to be assumed that AI is just like a person but made of silicone. But that, as far as I understand technology, just isn't what a computer is or does. A computer will do exactly what its programming tells it to and that has been an enormous advantage, as we've seen over the last 70 or so years. And it's why the first computers were called things like the difference engine or the analytical engine, because that's primarily what a computer actually does. Now, we pride ourselves on analysis as lawyers, but I think actually what we do as analysis is actually fundamentally different than what, say, an analytical engine does and even what the newer generation of AI does because of the extent to which our minds are open. And the idea of having a kind of open switch in a computer program is just something that creates an error. So if a legal framework is based around assuming that AI is just like a human, it's just going to get off kilter from the start. And I think all of the unhelpful uses, biases, discrimination, lack of protection from risks, it will ultimately occur. If we understand what fundamentally it is that the technology is and does, then I think so long as that is done, then I could be more optimistic about the future. But I just don't think we're quite there right at the moment. Anyway, that's just us. We'll have to see what everybody else says when we do the episodes. So thank you for listening to this first 39 Essex Chambers AI and the Law podcast episode. For further episodes, please visit 39essex.com or follow us on social media. Thank you for listening. Bye.